All right, guys. Uh, where are we at? Episode four? Four. At this point? Wow. We need lives. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's me and uh, Dr. Bill Muck again, and uh, we actually have another guest who's uh, Skyping in. Do you want to introduce? I would love. So we are joined by my good friend Phil Barker, who is a uh, professor at Keene State College out of New Hampshire. Uh, Phil and I are uh, longtime friends going back to graduate school. He is a uh, published author, uh, Rhodes Scholar. Wait, are you a Rhodes Scholar? <laughs> no, no, no. Fulbright uh, Scholar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fulbright Scholar. Fulbright. Yeah, and uh, although I think the best thing at the top of his CV is still that he's best friends with Bill Muck. That's, it's, that's it's, yeah. That's the first thing on the list. Yeah. It's still there, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, get, we're getting fancier with these things. There's speakers and Skyping yeah. and... We're, if only we could actually get it to work in one way instead of having two different computers and a speaker and a microphone. Well, you know, it's weird in your budget that you didn't fly me out. Yeah, we're we're working on that. <laughs> That's in next year's budget. <laughs> um, well, first and foremost, uh, probably the most important thing uh, out of anything that we're going to talk about. Um, did anyone see Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> did you see it, Phil? You're obviously the only one in the room that doesn't have, that doesn't have children. No. <laughs> what, you didn't take your children to go it. see it? Oh, God. Uh, I actually, this weekend, TNT was running like nonstop Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. And so with the kids and I, we wa literally watched all six of them. Oh, God. Uh, and it, actually, it was a fun experience because they hadn't all seen it. Uh, yeah. But I haven't seen the, did you see the new it's one? It's so good. Is it really? It's really good. Okay. I'd heard mixed reviews, but no, yeah. really, really good. good. No, screw yeah. those people who said it was iffy. No, it was <laughs> awesome. So, yeah, again, that's whatever. That needed to be said. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it, like usual, we're trying as many different types of beer as possible. Like I was telling these guys, uh, I'm running out of things to try, so I'm going to have to find new stores that just sell single uh, bottles of beer. And you got your Manhattans, right, Phil? Yeah, I went bourbon. Screw the beer. I'm <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, yeah, it, I, again, I, I mean, some of this is going to be Trump-focused and what's going on. We're going to try and get into a little bit of, of foreign uh, foreign policy and things that have been going on around the world because that's been in the news a lot in the past few days. Um, where do you want to start? I mean... It's hard not to talk Trump, although, I mean, I guess, do we want to start with the, the Russian hacks? I mean, <laughs> just quote, unquote. Yes. Yeah. yeah let's it, do that. You know, to me, this is just such a big story. And, and, and for a variety of ways, it's a big story. I, 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 in ways that trouble me, but ways that are also just fascinatingly entertaining, right? I mean, the, the Vladimir Putin, the last... The most recent poll showed that a lot of Republicans now see Vladimir Putin like with a high approval rating. Right. Like, what has happened where suddenly Vladimir Putin is approved by the American public? <laughs> like a 50-point like swing in his net favorability amongst Republicans since the summer. So, like, in the last six months. Yeah. And, yeah. and what does that say that you know, part, politics has gotten so bad in the United States that just because one party does not like Putin means the other one, like, we're probably, oh, we got to like Putin now. Of course. Um, yeah. This, yeah this, part, like, partisanship is a powerful drug, right? I mean, it's like you, you, you were willing to, yeah, if he, if he helps you win. You know, you and I talked a little bit about this, Bill, like the extent to which when you, when you demonize the other side, like really the ends any means become justifiable, right? Like if, if, if you're, if it's not like a difference in policy views, 
between Republicans and Democrats, but it's good versus evil, yeah. then yeah, you know, like Vladimir Putin, he's a, he might be a bad guy, he might be an asshole, but like yeah. if he's defeated the enemy, right, the evil that is Hillary Clinton, then yeah. And, and this is, it's, it's such a big deal to think about the fact that and I, I don't think it decided the election, or at least we don't know. We don't know whether. I mean, we, there's no possible way it decided right. the election, right? Or Unless you physically had I, KGB I, agents right. in there at every voting machine. But it was. It was certainly was. I would say there's no way to know whether it decided. I don't like. I don't think it. Yeah, I mean, there's no way to know the impact. I, it certainly had. I think it had an impact in the sense that it kept people talking about. Right. Yeah emails right up to the yeah. very end and when you combine it with the the comey stuff like even though they're like unrelated it was yeah. like the average american i don't think understood the nuances of all of that and they hear emails and you know it all fits into this corruption picture and all right yeah. so the the opposite end of that viewpoint is that the media is still saying that it's it's russia who who did the hacking right who the fuck is Russia? Like, <laughs> what what element of Russia did that? You can't just say that it was Russia. Yeah. It wasn't Putin. Realistically, it wasn't probably the intelligence agency, right? Do well, we I really know? Are, I mean, so, what did USA? Who was it? What, I forget. One of the one of the intelligence agencies in the U.S. this week did actually point the finger at Putin and saying that he was directly and obviously not. He wasn't the guy typing on the computer, but like yeah. he directly gave the order it wasn't like a rogue bureaucratic agency it was him there are sort of, yeah because how they know that but. well right there are two there are two groups two russian hacking groups that are like well known they've got names from little bear or whatever it is yeah uh and they've linked it to those two moose and squirrel moose and squirrel right <laughs> <laughs> and and so you know but for me it doesn't you know whether or not it swayed the election. It, it, as, as Phil said, it probably impacted it. Comey impacted it. Hillary's campaign and, and poor campaign impact. All these things matter, but it the reaction of the American public that some were up in arms and others are like, eh, no big deal. That is really telling to me that that didn't that wasn't a bigger deal. And that Trump's not making like yeah. that, That's the thing that's like I, if you take it from the specific to the abstract and you just pre- presented a scenario to people in which. There were U.S. intelligence agencies were alleging that Russia had interfered intentionally with our elections in order to get someone elected. Yeah. Right. Like, and without like party ties to it, without like any specific names, people would be up in arms, right? And the yeah. idea that the the president elect isn't in any way. It's not even that he's not concerned with it. He's like taking the side of like, right. Russia over yeah. the U.S. intelligence agency. Like, he's saying the CIA and the FBI are wrong. Right. Like, it's just it's just it's like bizarro world. It, it it is, and and I love that McCain. Like it, you know, when McCain gets lathered up, mm. I know it's going to be a good show, and he's lathered up about <clears> this, and and he's still pissed off, and, and so I, it makes me think that there's going to be more to this, especially with the Rex Tillerson potential appointment at State Department. This is when it gets interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what is his connection with Russia? And we don't really know. We know that Exxon had a good relationship with Russia, but that doesn't mean that Tillerson and Putin are necessarily good friends. It just could be business deals. So let, let's talk Tillerson for a second. Yeah. Do you think he, what do you think? Do you think he's a good choice? Like, what's your take on him? My, my first thought was... When they rumored that the head of Exxon was going to be doing this, I thought, no, he can't do this. He can't do that. Uh, and then he did. What what has struck me, and I'm not as concerned, there are many cabinet appointments that I'm really worried about, but uh, Condoleezza Rice, 
James Baker, and then, uh, oh, Phil, the old A&M president, um, Robert Gates. Those three recommended him. Most people know him as Secretary of Defense. Not <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That guy yes. uh, with the Pentagon, I can't, you know. Yeah, but, but the, so those are three foreign policy individuals that I have a lot of respect for, and I think were successful in those positions, and the fact that they recommended him, that makes me think there's something of value there. I, I will say we know nothing about him. We know nothing. He's never said anything publicly about where he's at other than where Exxon is at. Right. The critique, the critique of those three people that you list is that they all have worked for or have ties to Exxon in some way as well. So, which, you know, can go either way, right? Like, that could be that, well, of course, they've worked with him and they know him, right? And that's why yeah. they can say good things about him. Or it could be that, you know, they, they're biased in some way. But okay. Not not Condi. Condi, no, no. Condi's all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, he's interesting, I think, because he's like, for by all, I don't know that much about him, but by all the stuff I've read, he's... Um, by all accounts, very smart and very worldly and, like, aware of, like, Exxon is in its own way a, sort of a government. Like, it has its yeah. own intelligence right. agency, yeah. basically. Like, I mean, smart, and he's, he's an engineer, he's analytical. Like, there's lots of good stuff. I, I think the two things that worry people, the one is the Exxon thing, right, which mm-hmm. also sends that, like, I, I don't think you can spend your life in, like, oil you know, thinking oil and then not have that influence your decisions when you're in office. But the thing that's getting obviously more buzz or talk is the, the ties to Russia, which in a different administration, if, if we weren't already talking about Trump and his like Russia friendly stuff, his like closeness to Putin might not necessarily be a bad thing, right? No. Like he's worked no. with Putin, he knows him, all these other things. It's when you mix that with like the, yes. the unwillingness of Trump to in any way critique Putin or Russia that you start to kind of get a little uneasy, right? Yeah. Well, and apparently when Tillerson first was engaging Russia in in the early 2000s, he was very critical of Putin and pushing him, and he found that wasn't getting anywhere. And so he made this major shift to uh, connect with Putin and then Sechin, the guy, the second in command. Uh, and so so it does make you wonder whether he has a an Exxon position and then in a different, more foreign policy position. But again, we know this is, we know nothing like, until that, the hearing. Does he keep, I don't know any of the, like, does he, as Secretary of State, does he keep, like, stock options and, like, does he, like, what sort of conflict of interest does he have in terms I don't of his ties to Exxon? at that point? I think so, unlike Trump, who has basically uh, the leverage or the ability to not get rid of all that stuff, they all are by <laughs> law required to do so. And those are pretty invasive. So I think he probably has to sever ties, like all the cabinet positions. But unlike a lot of other, I mean, so like, I compare Tillerson to Perry, Rick Perry in energy. And I say, like, at least Tillerson, like you said, is he's a smart guy. He, he got to this position because he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Rick Perry, I can't get the image of him dancing on Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> And, Leave that poor man alone. All right? The fact that he's now, had a hard time. This is the guy that's now in charge of our nuclear weapons. <laughs> <laughs> At the agency, he couldn't remember. Right, right. Yeah, yeah energy. Uh, yeah. yeah, Rick Perry, who got a D in college physics, is now the the uh, secretary of energy. Yeah. Did he go to A and M or did he go? To... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Hey, you uh, don't have to know things to be a good manager. <laughs> that's right. <clears throat> uh, but no, that, that the whole the whole hack issue, the connection of Tillerson. It suggests to me that Putin has been unbelievably successful playing a weak hand. I mean, Russia, other than nuclear weapons, is is not relevant. Their their economy is basically Switzerland, and all we're talking about is Russia. Russia in Syria, Russian 
you know, manipulating U.S. elections, all of that, right? right. This is the, the, he has rewritten the end of the Cold War, and Russia is doing much better now. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, realistically, at at this point, especially in the current administration, which only has a few days left, like what what could we do worse in the next administration than what we've done in relation to Russia? I mean, just I mean, yeah. just yeah, it, Russia U.S. relations in general are in the shitter in a way that they've yeah. never been in the past, what, 20 years? Since the end of the Cold War. Right. Yeah, it's... Yeah, and they quite... Yeah, I don't... I don't know. Phil? <laughs> <laughs> I, if, I, it, so, I... I... <laughs> Nick asked a good question, so I threw it to <laughs> Phil. <laughs> I mean, if, if they're... If Trump's thought is, okay, we've really sucked at this, or whoever is, is pulling the strings back there at this yeah. point, We've sucked at it so bad for the past eight years or so to the point where, like you said, yeah. a country which realistically has no importance in no. global society besides nuclear weapons yeah. and their ability to prop up dictators in the Middle East and yeah, that's Eastern it. Europe. That's yeah. about it. What, so, here's my response to that. I've had 20 seconds to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> And go. I, so Comment. I, I tend to agree with you. I have I have a lot of critiques of Obama's foreign policy, and, and Russia could fit into that pretty easily. But I would also argue that I think maybe the answer to what could we do worse is what Trump has done so far. <laughs> like, I, like, I think the danger is that the sort of vacillating on NATO um, just opens the door. It encourages. Putin, right? If I'm Putin, I've got my eye on, you know, the Baltics. Like, I'm looking at Estonia and Latvia. I'm, you know, I, the, the, the idea that the U.S. will in any way push back, right? You can critique Obama for not pushing back, but there was at least sort of the pretense that we would try to. And what, what Trump is putting out there in a lot of ways is that we're, we're not going to push back at all, right? So that, I mean, maybe that improves U.S.-Russian relations and that we're not, like, we do away with the tension, but it doesn't seem that doing away with the tension by basically just letting Putin do whatever he wants it, it, is the good solution, though, either. Is, go ahead. Is it, but, I mean, is it better to have a doctrine that's saying, yeah, we're going to push back, and then they realize that we never, ever do in any way, in any capacity? What, yeah. Syria? Yeah. Crimea? Where else? I, Iran? Right. I do think this is reminiscent of when Obama came into office and there was the Russian reset. I think that's what Trump... I mean, I don't think he's trying to do this. I really don't think he has any thoughts about foreign policy, but... No. Uh, I, you know, the, the idea that they could renew that relationship, and I, I just I just don't buy it. And I, I, agree, I agree with both of you. I think Obama could have done a better job with Russia. I think Russia played the United States for the last couple of years. But Putin and the United States are not going to get along. It's... It, Whatever, there will be an issue within the first couple of years where Trump is going to have to confront Russia, and it will fall apart. And, and so I think that's why this kind of trying to play nice and uh, build rapport is, is not necessarily a good start. Uh, which isn't to say Obama was any better, but I'm, I'm troubled by it. No, I, yeah. So, I, I mean, that, I think you and I have been talking some over the last few weeks, Bill, I, like... A lot of people have lots of worries and concerns about the Trump administration, yeah. but I, and it's probably because I teach foreign policy. But that's where my worries went immediately. Like after on the election night, the election occurs. Obviously, there are all sorts of concerns. If I studied, you know, race relations, I'm sure that I would 
be focused yeah. more on race relations and whatnot. But as a foreign policy person, I, that's immediately where I turn. And I, I worry about the ways in which the complete lack of any sort of doctrine, right? So yeah. as, as weak as Obama may have been, there was at least some <laughs> like some like thread of logic through it, right? And so, um, I, yeah, I, I think about like, I think about Russia, right? So if Putin pushes things, which I think he if, will, right, if you look at what, how he's behaved for the last ten years, you have to expect that he's going to do that. Let's say he does. He pushes things in Estonia, right? He starts encouraging. There's something like thirty percent of the Estonian population. Where is that? Is that in the South Pacific or something? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Where's where is Estonia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what the briefings are going to be. <laughs> um, so I don't like the, the question is what happens then, right? So Estonia is a NATO member, right? And, and there's uh, there are lots of realists in foreign policy who have been critical of the expansion of NATO just for this reason that it it possibly raises this risk. But if if Russia starts tampering in Estonian politics or Latvian politics or whatnot. What happens, right? Because the options then are, if, if you have a NATO country being provoked by Russia, then you either back up Article 5 of NATO, which is, what, war with Russia? Or you look the other way, in which case NATO is meaningless, right? Like, what's the point of NATO if, if Russia can tamper with a NATO member and the other NATO members aren't coming to their aid, then NATO means nothing, mm-hmm. right? And so then, like, I, that's where you get into this the possibility of like a real rewriting of global politics and how you know international order and, and instability and all sorts of stuff that that keeps me awake at night until I drink my second half. <laughs> and the beauty it's it's not just the United States again where Putin is playing foreign policy well it's throughout Europe I mean they are supporting uh, these nationalists the ethno nationalist movements around so all the the, the right wing populist movements are all pro Russia, and so this is this is something that the entirety of Europe is dealing with, and and, and Putin's in a good position now. I saw I, I don't remember the numbers, but I wasn't aware until I read this article this week. But yeah, Russia has loaned, or Russian banks have loaned the National Front in France, Marine Le Pen's, you know, this, this sort of ultra nationalist neo fascist kind of party in France have loaned them like millions of dollars, right, to yeah. help fund their campaigns, and yeah, I mean, there's all. The, yeah, the Russian tampering is not, and is, you know, Putin's been, I think, successful. He's been very good at how he's done this. So. It makes me think that this is going to be something. Even if short term Trump works out a better relationship, long term these these two are going to come to heads. Uh, yeah, so it's, but again, again, fascinating politics. So I, I mean, I, I agree with you on some points. My thought is that there has been nothing over the past eight years that has improved any sort of relations between the U.S. and Russia or between Western Europe and Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just lost my train of thought. Shit. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if, if... Do you think anything could improve them? Could Because I think Putin has decided All right. his way to sit around is to push back against this Western liberalism and right. to say, like, no more, we're going to stand for something, and it's against Western Europe, against the United States, against liberalism. But th- Right, but it was liberalism under the tutelage of the Obama administration mm. and something that is a doctrine that's anathema to them yeah. completely. If you're working with someone like Trump yeah. who at least goes, okay, I understand where you're coming from, you know, and yeah. realistically, I think he's placating at least for, you know, the, the interim mm-hmm. until he's in office and, you know, we get Tillerson in there and normalize things a little bit. 
business ceilings with Exxon, most likely. Yeah. Kind of figure that's going to happen. I, I mean, I don't think that it's going to be a dismantling of NATO, and Trump's going to completely ignore that, and that he wouldn't back that up. But to think that the doctrine that we have now, yeah. it, it's the same, it's the exact same thing that got Trump, uh, Trump to where he is now. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you can't think that Russia and, and Putin especially, and their propaganda machine, didn't look at you know the Democratic Party in in the U.S. and go, look at they're trying yeah. to fuck with us constantly. Yeah, yeah. Why why do you want to stand for that? Right. And at least here's someone who at least sounds more reasonable. Uh, you know, Assad's not so bad. You know, we'll deal with it. Yeah. You know, we'll talk to you guys about it. And you know, oil rights and blah blah blah. I I, I think that's um. I think the placating in the short term isn't necessarily a bad strategy. Mm. If it goes beyond that, yeah, yeah we're fucked. <laughs> but yeah. See, I, I, the only thing that I would add to that, or that I would sort of push back on that, is that I think there's a danger. Wrong. <laughs> there's a danger. Turn his mic down. That, <laughs> there's a danger in thinking that Putin gives a shit about Russian-American mm. relations. Mm. I think. I, like I think. Yeah, but he's a pragmatist, like at least like Trump appears to be. And if it normalizes economic relations and stabilizes the regions just a little bit, I think it's going to be better for everybody. Yeah, I think there's there's a little bit of an argument there to say like like the way you deal with the bully is just to like you know like cheer him on rather than pushing back. Yeah, the way the way you deal with your relationship with the bully, but that doesn't necessarily make it the right. No, you're right. You know what? You deal. You become the bully's friend, and then when he's not looking, you punch him in the back of the head. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. But I think it's more likely that Putin is the one punching Trump in the back of the head. Yeah, it's details. <laughs> Whatever. Somebody's punching someone. It's fine. Right. Um. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's a mess. Mm. And by the way, and we talked about this again before the podcast. I don't know why we do that. The fact that they're making this sour mash bullshit beer now that is everywhere just pisses me off uh nick just had a sour beer if you, yeah if you could <laughs> yeah and it's lagunitas too which i love everything that they do but like it's just not a good type of no, beer the sour beer but the young people love it nick they well, do the young people are yeah. dumb <laughs> they're really dumb really dumb have we talked about how old you are that's right so I am, I am my first beer, and, and now my second beer is is my favorite beer that I'm drinking these days, which is uh, uh, Bedlam from Ale Asylum. It is just, it's wonderful. It's made in Madison, Wisconsin, and uh, instead of trying something new today, I went back to my my favorite beer. Oh, way to go! Yeah, my second beer is Rockin also Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, where do we go from Should here? Should we do that? You want to go to Michelle Obama? Yeah, I mean. Like this, I, Nick's mad. I'm so mad, <laughs> so so mad. Like and, and just, and this has more to do. And like I mentioned, again off air, kind of prepping for this, this whole identity politi- uh, politics thing, and what this administration has been kind of uh, evincing to the public and and whatnot. Um, like the fact that you're telling people that. You know, this is what it feels like to not have hope. Go fuck yourself. Like, come on. Like, it just, it, it makes zero sense. And then, I, I mean, we have it prepped and whatever we can listen to it. But what, like, what are your initial thoughts on that? 
So this was the Mich- Michelle Obama Oprah conversation. Yeah, correct. And and Nick, that should have said something, right? It no, was, <laughs> it was it was Oprah, right? No, no, <laughs> so, it shouldn't. Be. You know, actually, I'm not worried about Oprah. I'm worried about the first lady of the or the yeah. uh, of the United States saying that there's no hope. There's no hope. I, you know, I, I will say I'm torn on this, and this is a conversation Phil and I have been having for a while about you know, the, to get to this question of how bad is it, and I and I. Uh, both Phil and I, I think we've gone back and forth, and part of us at times we say like, ah, the left is overreacting. This, it's not that bad. We don't need to lose hope. And then other times I feel like, no, Nick, it is that bad, right? This, well, why hope is, is that gone? Bad? Why? Well, okay. Well. <laughs> so can I say something about the hope? Thing no. Yeah. Before we get into the bigger yes. picture of how awful is it? Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> I, I, it was, it was, yeah. So it was. It came across really bad. Like I, I don't, I, I'm going to make myself. Def- I'm going to defend her, um, not because I necessarily want to, but just because I feel like someone should. <laughs> um, I'll defend her because I think that in the grand scheme of things, this is out of like context for her. She's usually, I don't know. I think she usually does a really good job with these. Um, I do think they are taking her comments. Like as I went back and listened to the interview, I think. It was just really poorly said, her message. I think her message was essentially, it wasn't that there's like no hope for the country. It was about like, she was proud of the fact that Obama put forth this message of like, you know, hope and all optimism and all of this stuff. And that Trump's message is not, is more sort of dark and critical. And then you can get a different feel there. I, she did a terrible job and I did a terrible job as well. In trying oh, to convey God, I'm going to break the glass. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I also think that it's also it, like, it also I think was interesting because it's, it sort of gets at the problem that the Democrats have. Like, I, I mean, I think that we, the Democrats have this big issue of talking to each other, right? Mm, like yes. in that conversation there, that's two Democrats talking to each other and leaving out the 40%, you know, 40, however many percent of voters that voted for Trump. We saw his messages in some way hopeful, right? So it's like, that's that's where the Democrats need to, there's this view that Democrats think that we're right, and so therefore we don't have to talk to the other side because they're wrong, and I, they've got to get over that. Um, and I think it's also part of the problem with, with Hillary in that she didn't, I, I don't, she, like, there was lots of stuff to her message, she's very qualified, all of that stuff, but if if Obama was liked because of this message of hope and like progress and moving forward, Hillary was you know this looking back to the '90s and this other you know this old message, and I think that's part of again the, the message that the Democrats put forward was not one of like progress and, mm-hmm. and changing. And Trump, even though Democrats might not like to acknowledge it, was at least this message of change, right, of difference, and I don't know if you would call it. It's not progress, but. <laughs> it's, it's change, right? It's a move in a different direction. Um, so, I, yeah, I mean, I think I, 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 I understand her, I guess, her sentiment. I just think it was, yeah, it was really, it, really poor. She job. sucked at it. It was okay. inconsistent <laughs> with how good Obama has been about yeah, been being great. cautious and being careful and being connecting and being respectful to the new administration. It wasn't that. It was, it, and it undermined a lot of the work that he's done. I think he he's trying to connect with Trump in a way that only presidents can. Um, which is which is interesting because like two weeks before the election he was talking about Trump as an existential threat to America. Right, right. right. And well, so I, now yeah. he's talking about oh it's going to be great and we're going to help him and all this other stuff. Well, even right after I think it was the first time they met, Trump went to one of his rallies and was saying 
I think it was mm-hmm. that he said he was the worst president yeah. ever or something yeah. like that. And then they had another meeting after that. And now apparently they're having lots of conversations that aren't being, you know, publicized where they're, you know, they're seeking each other's advice. You know, I will say I was not as troubled by her comment. I, I did think it was not, 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 not good timely in terms of what the Obama administration is trying to do. I, I was shocked. The other day I was watching, I don't know, one of the news networks. And they had some data where they were they were showing polling of you know people concerned by the Trump administration. I don't know what the number was. It was you know like forty five percent are worried about Trump the Trump administration. And then they had the data for those that were optimistic about the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. And it was almost fifty percent. Yeah. And I had to I rewind it. I was like, did did I see that right? You know. And that says something, right? Uh, and I would say I'm. I'm somebody who's much more concerned uh, about what's happening here, but there are there's a huge chunk of the country that thinks I'm crazy, and, and this is an existential threat for me. Right? Yes, like, you're the you're the academic elitist. Well, I, we I, fucking hate you. I know, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I can't decide whether I, I've been thinking a lot about when Obama came into office and all the hand wringing that Republicans went through and they were doing the same thing like, Oh, this is terrible. This is the end of the world. Right. And I'm even going back to, um, when Bush W won his reelection and, and actually both Phil and I were at the university of Colorado in Boulder at that time. And there was similar hand wringing like, Oh my God, this has happened. How, how terrible this is. And I'm, I'm trying to determine whether this is just another one of those moments or whether this is different. And there's part of me that says, this is different. I mean, yeah, I agree. Some element of it is different. I don't think it's There's a dancing with the stars guy who's taking over the Department of Energy, right? This is is different. I I think the difference is, like, the difference for me, the thing that, like, when I want to keep myself awake at night, the thing that stresses me out, right, is, is it's not the policy stuff, right? Like, I can get upset about, like, I can disagree with the Trump administration on policy. The thing that concerns me is as somebody who studies political institutions, like, in this comparative perspective, the thing that scares me or that makes me nervous is the lack of regard for the institutions that, and, and by institutions, I, I mean, like, the actual offices, but I also mean, like, the, the sort of norms, the rules that we've learned to live by, right? The only reason that these institutions work is because we think they work, right? Yeah. The only reason the Supreme Court has power is because we're willing to abide by their decisions, right? But most people don't think that they work at this point. I know. I know, I know. <laughs> but but the, the thing that, that is different about Trump, like so Bush, right? You can, you can disagree with Bush on all sorts of, you know, I, you and I study foreign policy. I have my issues with the Bush doctrine, and, you know, we can be all sorts of critical about the Bush administration. But the Bush administration played by the rules, right? They, they thought the rules applied to them. Even even when they were, like, pushing the limits of the rules, like, yeah. even if you go back and look into, you know, enhanced interrogation torture stuff, right? They went out of their way to create legal documents to show that they were playing by the rules. And, you know, they, clearly they believed that they were constrained by the rules of politics, the, the rules of the rule of law. I don't see that with Trump, right? Like, when Trump, you know, if, he, he's, if, if institutions don't work to his... Ends, he'll toss them aside, right? And that's what I, I think there is an, uh, I think Americans sort of overestimate the power of American institutions, right? Like we revere our constitution and think it's wonderful, but it's only wonderful as long as we like 
abide by it, right? And as soon as somebody starts not abiding by it, that's when you have, I don't know, that's what, does that make sense? Is that where you feel? It does. I think of this as a test, right? The American public was tested by Donald Trump. Uh, and there were three tests. There was the Republican primary, which was the first test, mm-hmm. and that they failed there. And uh, then it went to the general election, where it was, it was it went to the American public to say, you know, whether you agree or disagree, whether you know left or right, like this individual. I really think Trump is nonpartisan. I think he's just a whole other thing. The American public, you have a chance to show that demagogues can't get elected, and we failed that test. And then the third test is the institutions. And um, the, the institutions are the weakest, uh, they're the, the weakest actor, right? They're the ones who can push back the less, or they, 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 they don't have the strength to do that, Two right? Beers. Two beers, right. <laughs> yes. The small, the small, small yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. They're less Times. capable of pushing back, right? Because I, I, I do think this really goes back to the American public to, to making a stand to say, these norms and institutions matter. And we said, and I think most of the American public will go along with Trump in undermining these institutions. And that's what's concerning to me, is that this the protocol, the, the norms, the way that we interact with each other, I think those go away. All right. That's when you get back to the, the, the demonizing of the opposition, I think, mm-hmm. right? Where you, like, if you look at the rise of authoritarian regimes or the collapse of democracies around the world, right? Those are the warning. Like, I'm not saying that that's where we are, but like early on in the, in the, in the process, that's what you start to see, right? Where you start to demonize the opposition. It's not just a disagreement over budget policy or over, you know, how we should reduce the number of abortions in the country. It's actually like, we're good. They're evil. Yeah. And once, once that happens, then like, you would be if you really think the opposition is evil, you would be crazy to abide by the rules of the Constitution, right? Because right. to to like limit yourself to these like arbitrary rules, because you know, so that that's where I worry about the the path that we go down, right? To what extent? Nick, 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 can is, I talk? Yeah, 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 Nick, I guess. <laughs> All right, so. Like I, I completely hear what you're saying, and you know, I mean, I I study this as well. Obviously, not as much as you guys have. I, I do agree that there's an importance to the understood practices and history and importance of political institutions in the U.S. At the same time, we know the majority of the American public doesn't agree that those institutions are working anymore, right. regardless of who's in power, whether it's Republican right. or Democrat. And throughout history, it's continuously gone. It's it's gotten worse. It's getting worse, yeah. So, why is it such a terrible thing to go? We've had enough of this. And 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 no one is saying that he's going to completely dismantle the institutions. No one's saying that that is that should. I mean, some people are saying that it should happen. The but normal Americans, most of the, the majority of the people who voted for him, and everyone else. Yeah. Is saying those institutions are going to continue, but something needs to change. Why can't what? Uh, and we have no idea what he's going to do. Realistically, it's been a few appointments, and, and, and you know. And, and I keep thinking he's a pragmatist. Like it, there's not that much in those institu- institutions that's going to change. And he's really good, even in the business world, about following the rules of those institutions in a way that. You know, you can. I, I see you shaking your head. <laughs> Just drink your your non beer drink. If, if this fine. was, 
if this was Thomas Jefferson or if this was Alexander Hamilton, Nick, I would say oh, yes. Don't talk I to me about trust, Hamilton. I trust <laughs> that they are they are with integrity and thoughtfulness attacking these institutions. I want someone I trust. I want a tool that speaks for us. So here, here's my response. They're, they're, I'm totally cutting you off, Bill. Yeah. Here. <laughs> <laughs> my response is that there's there's two different things here, right? There, there's to say that we need to like reconsider our institutions, that our institutions aren't working that well, and that Americans recognize they're not working that well, and we should evaluate them and maybe rework them, like that, that's one thing. I, and I totally agree with that. I think the American system is screwed up. But that's different than saying that the institutions aren't working, so we're going to let Trump or anybody else, right? I, the same critiques can be made of Obama, right? Who's like the, the presidential power has expanded in very real ways, right? There's also, you know, he's the drone policy and surveillance, all sorts of other stuff, right? This is not just a, a a Trump thing, but so there's one thing to say we need to rethink how we do government and come up, you know, alter the rules because the rules aren't working. But that's different from saying the rules aren't working, so we're just not going to have any rules, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what worries me about. Trump, right? Just saying to him, like, eh, the rules haven't worked, so do your thing, and we'll figure it out. Right. That's what scares me. You guys are really intelligent people, okay? <laughs> he's not even in office yet. We have no idea what he's going to do. Do you think that the majority of the federal, state, and local governments in this country are just going to let him dismantle the system as it exists today? No. No, no. but... but... Here's the thing. I, I look at someone like Barack Obama, who is, you know, a, a legal scholar, very intelligent. Like, that's how you roll your eyes. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard to hide. Sorry. So that's actually a credential, right? He's actually gone to law school and has taught law school. He actually knows what he's talking about. <laughs> and I see the ways in which the, like, he has, um, like in which they, the the institutions have failed to keep him in check, right? Like I mean, we're we're killing like American citizens. We're droning American citizens without warrants. Like we're doing all these massive searches. So, like I don't I don't think that he's going to necessarily like totally abandon the Constitution and make himself a dictator. But I, I what I see in the in the past certainly 20 years, but probably even further than that, of the U.S. politics is what you just said, which is a failure to really push back on expansions of, and abuses of power. And so mm-hmm. that's what that's what makes me nervous. Because I think that Bush and Obama, and like in, in different ways, but both of them were conscious of like their role and, and the need to, you know, they push power in different places and in different ways, but... I don't even see Trump having that necessarily concern, right? And so I, I don't – It's my, my concern is that I don't know that the institutions are actually all that powerful if we, as the people, don't actually push back in some way. Okay. I don't even know what that looks like. One point. <laughs> yeah. So this is the, I guess, not really uh, – I guess this is my nuclear option. Um, <laughs> realistically, I don't see Trump as – I, I see him as a, as a delegator more than anything. And to think that he's going to be the one that's going to make these decisions, all of these decisions, I, I mean, that's fine if he wants to talk about it and, you know, be the mouthpiece for it. Oh my God, I'm a mess tonight. Um, <laughs> I, 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 
while I think some of his appointments have been uh, yeah, not the best, I think some of them could honestly end up working out well. And I think they can... I think he's relatively good at delegating responsibility, regardless of what people think about, you know, the four bankruptcies he's he's had and, you know, the thousand business... Yeah, oh, wow. Phil is eating the cherry from his Manhattan right now. Interesting. And then I think you just recycled the cherry stem. Uh, I, 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 I get that, Nick, and I agree with that. What, what I would push back is that if, if oh, I... so much pushback. Yeah, tonight. all right. Where I would... I would dither <laughs> is if I felt I think at some level the presidency the office of the presidency is the they have to make hard calls and and delegation is important so you want to say I can't micromanage everything I have to let these institutions do what they do best but at the end of the day these cabinet members will come to me and ask me to make hard decisions sure and I feel like Barack Obama is thoughtful prepared and we may not always agree with his decisions but you know he's read the the briefing. You know that he's thought about this. And I, I think that was the case with George W. Bush. I think that was the case with Bill Clinton. I think all of them were doing... The fact that Trump is not even doing intelligence briefings suggests to me that he may not be that interested. Was it confirmed that he wasn't doing any intelligence briefings? Less, less. Like one Okay, piece. and they've even, said, week. Even, they've even said that a lot of those are redundant. And probably don't need to do as many as they have. Yes, but there have also been Republican conservative foreign policy experts who've come out and very, very tactfully said, like, no, those are important. He should sit in for those. And they'll say, like, well, they can shorten them for him. Like, Reagan had shorter ones. And, you know, Reagan had one-pagers, and that that's okay. So my concern is that if you don't have – at the end of the day, he's going to have to make a lot of tough calls. And I would feel more comfortable if he took the position – in a more serious way. And I'm just not sure whether he's in, I, I think he wants to delegate everything. And that's why the cabinet posts are so important. Sure. Uh, again, Rick Perry at energy in charge of our nuclear weapons. Meh. The guy, the guy, you know, he just can't do the, the yeah, that one I'm, not well. a huge, yeah. I'm not a huge fan. Of. Um, so Bill, I, I'll ask you, cause you and I have talked a little bit about this. How do you then balance? Cause this is the, this is the, what I wrestle with, right? Like he's, you're, you're, you're right in that he's not, I mean, he's not even in office yet, right? He's not done anything to expand presidential power or abuse power in any way up to this point. There have been lots of warning signs, right? Um, so how do you balance like, your sense of alarm, right? Like, so there's this sense of, uh, yeah, give him, give him a chance, right? Yeah. There's, no, there's no guarantee that he's going to be, uh, we don't know what he's going to be like. Maybe he'll be a prudent president. I'm skeptical, but maybe he will be. Yeah. Um, there's also the chance, right? I, I hate the hyperbole. Her, hi, see, second, second hand, ahead. Hyperbole. <laughs> <laughs> second one is kind of I hate the hyperbole of like pushing, you know, immediately people turn to like he's, you know, he's Hitler, right? I don't, yeah. I don't want to go there either, no. right? But there's a point where you have to become concerned, right? Like at some point, the abuse of power or whatever would, and this, is, this doesn't have to be Trump, this could be any president, right? So how do you know when? to start waving the red flags. How do you know when to quit? Like, it's not just about, like, speaking out on Twitter or in your classrooms. I and mean, it's actually, like, this is serious. Like, where is that point? No, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I would say there's there's two things, right? Right, And I, I you're absolutely spot on, Phil. I, I would say, so when I look at this, I say Steve Bannon and Michael Flynn. Those two 
concern me, right? Because those are yeah. the those are going to be the domestic and the international. Those are the guys that are going to be in his ear. And Bannon, you know, I, I do international, so I can't speak to him in great detail. But Flynn, Michael Flynn, he scares the shit out of me, right? I mean, he is a conspiracy theorist of the worst kind of conspiracy theorist. And, and his son, who they finally had, Trump finally had to fire his son for, you know, tweeting out going too far. Like, that concerns me. And, and maybe you're right. If, if Trump comes in and he is a pragmatist, and he reassesses American power and says we're not going to do stupid things and, and, and he rebuilds trade relationships. I will be all for it. But these initial cabinet posts have concerned me to say like some of these individuals are not the most, not the most qualified. And I think the Republican foreign policy establishment has, is worried. It's, it's not just liberals that are worried about this. Uh-huh. Uh, all right. So this is, this is my question, I yeah. guess, to the two of you. At what point... Should there have been concern, or should there have been concern at all, when, in regards to the efficacy of his presidency and his foreign policy understanding and and just ability to perform the tasks that need to be performed when Obama became president? Like what? He was a legal scholar. Is that was that? The defining factor. No, and I, and I go ahead. And besides the fact that Trump has said outlandish things that I, it, I think most people think are never ever going to happen. Yeah. So th- th- I guess this is my difference, right? So I, like I see lots of red flags with Trump, right? Like the fact, like, and they seem they seem small maybe when you look at them individually, right? Like he hasn't released tax returns. He hasn't like you know like the news yesterday was about like his sons were having this like million dollar fundraiser for access to the president right like if hillary clinton had which they're that, not like, attending right, right. right. Like, oh, and case. it was a hunting trip yes <laughs> yeah so you've got hillary that, on that one steve bannon you've got woods, ties right? to the, like mike flynn like may, met with or like had a meeting with the austrian neo-nazi party right like there are all these like little things like the the locker up right which people don't care that like that's a like to a political scientist who studies like institutions and democracy like that's a big red flag so there are all these red flags that none of those i mean you could have red flags with obama but really trump is different from any other pre i can't think of any other presidential like major presidential candidate that raised the same level of red flag. I've had lots of presidential candidates I've disagreed with on policy issues, but they didn't send up like these sort of alarms about how they would treat power and how they would treat the office. And so my, that's, so that's the difference to me, right? Like, but the question then becomes like how many of those red flags are enough? Because like, I kind of think, oh, okay, well, you know, he's, he's, he's doing things different. I'll give him a chance. But, like, again, like, why, part of me thinks, why am I giving him a chance? Like, he set up all of these red flags and alarms. Like, I should be freaking out already. And there's part of me that thinks, no, give him, give him time. But then, again, like, how... The, this, Stop freaking uh, out, Phil. <laughs> Calm the become, fuck down. <laughs> I'm out of Manhattan. <laughs> you know, Authoritarianism happens gradually. Guess is my point and so that's my concern like when it's this very slow thing where's the breaking point or what point do you say i'm not just <laughs> i'm not just talking anymore i'm acting now i know that you bill you and i are not going to act because we're lazy but yeah, yeah. Should americans start acting <laughs> no i'm a liberal elitist <laughs> probably yes <laughs> yes 
well, yeah, and I mentioned this on the on the the last podcast, and I I do think that there is some concern in in some respect to what he said and in the way that he's acting and and whatnot. But I I think that a lot of what this comes down to, especially for the people who didn't vote for him, half the country, yeah, if not slightly more, um, is a, a genuine fear of the unknown. <clears throat> Especially in academic circles. Yeah. Uh, and then... The fucking people make me lose my thought every time. <laughs> God, I... Oh, yeah. Um, uh, um, something... Something with... Some, go, just say something, because yeah. I'll think of it. It is, it is entirely possible that a year from now, we will say, Boy, we really overreacted here. You know, it was he was he was a pragmatist, and while he was bombastic in his campaign, he was much more moderate as president. When I look at his cabinet, I thought about it. Shut up, holistic. <laughs> All right, <laughs> this is what I do in class. I just keep talking until it comes back. <laughs> All right, Nick, yeah, no. go. <clears throat> oh, this just being in class again. Um, I, I guess my other point is that. Oh shit! Oh, wow. That, Oh, and that's on my phone. Yep, beer is overflowing. Just get say, keep it away from the computer. God damn it! Nick was so excited. His beer. (laughs) I'm gonna blame the stalkers at Jewel for that one. Um, No, I guess my other point was that uh, while I think Trump is, he has sent up a lot of signals. um, I. Like, realistically, I find it more disturbing that, and and this is just me, I I obviously you guys don't necessarily agree with this opinion, um, that while Obama was really good at, and again, can't, uh, you know, you have to say campaigning and and putting that hopeful vibe out there and and that he, you know, was a a legal scholar and, you know, he had the chops for this and, and whatnot, what has happened over the past eight years really turns me off to that menta- that mentality. Um, and, you know, I, I've studied foreign policy more than I have just about anything else. And you look at Syria or Crimea or anything like that and you go, well, where was that red line? At what point did we cross that and how many dozens of miles are we beyond that at this point? Like, I know that, you know... You made a good point, and, and you know you you talked a good game, and then you didn't do anything about it. I think it's fair to say that Obama's his presidency will be judged differently than his narrowly foreign policy proposal. But he's the most passive aggressive foreign policy president we've had in a while. Oh, he's a woman. Uh, no, well, I don't know, <laughs> Nick. <laughs> We're never having shot on here. Uh, apparently, I don't know if I, I don't know if if. I mean, he's passive aggressive, but I do think he's aggressive. The, the aggressiveness doesn't always show, though. He's no, a guy, that's the thing. His aggressiveness talk never talk. shows to the American public. He I, just kills people. Right, and I wouldn't yeah. be shocked if there was some response to the Russian hack. That that might be serious, but he's not a guy who's going to come out and openly say that he did that, right? And that, that that's that can be good or bad, right? It, it could be good foreign policy, but bad public presentation of his mm. foreign policy. Um I don't think we're going to have that concern with Trump. I think whatever decision he makes, he will pitch it and frame it as this is why I'm doing and and for political purposes the way that Bill Clinton did 
right? Yeah. Uh, and I, I think Obama has been different in that that matter that way. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> Phil, Phil, you <laughs> no, no, I, comment? I, 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 there are lots of things that I like about Obama. His foreign policy is not one of them. So, um, I, yeah, I think he's. Bill and I were talking about this. Yesterday or something. I think Obama has had has tried to have it both ways. He's had this uh, like he doesn't want to get involved in international conflicts. Um, so you know he talks about how he's not going to send troops into Syria or whatever. But he's not he's not an isolationist by any means. No, right? so absolutely like, not. Yeah. But he's not yeah, a good he's not a good tactical leader either. He's like doing like a, He's doing something without ever doing enough, right? So it's like, in some ways, you could argue that he would be better off if he would go to either extreme, right? Like to like make a firm stance, put troops in Syria, or get the hell out of there and don't, right. you know, don't be bombing, don't be droning and bombing people across the Middle East, right? Like there's, you can't. Part of I think part of the big critique is this is this sort of middle road that he's tried to take, in which he's not. He's just been hesitant. Hesitant. Right? Yeah. I think hesitant's a good way to, to describe it. Even with like Russia, mm-hmm. he can be critical, but he's hesitant to actually do anything um, about it. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think the problem is that I don't know that if McCain, Hillary, like Mitt Romney, like there's lots of people I can think of who would take a different tack, and then I could say, all right, let's see how this works. I, I, the problem with Trump is that I don't, I don't, I don't even know what that's gonna. Be, no, right? we, we don't. We don't. We don't know, right? That's it's. It's he's an empty vassal, right? I don't think there are ideas in there. A vassal? Yeah, he's a vassal. Yeah, he's, he's vassal. <laughs> with with emptiness. <laughs> to def- I'll be the only one today to defend Obama's foreign policy, and I will. Oh. I will agree that there's there's not a lot there, but there's part of me that says uh, not doing something is actually okay right because i think about syria and there's all this pressure from both liberal hawks and conservatives to say do something you know this the whole red line right you should have done something you should have stood up and you should have had he done anything more aggressive in syria i don't think we're in a better place right now we're mired we're, we're dealing with russia in a maybe a direct confrontation or maybe like a proxy war with syria you know, with Russia through Syria. Oh, yeah, completely I, agree. I, I, don't, I don't think any of that is good, and so I, I think it's easy to bash him for his passivity and the fact that oh, you don't do anything and you don't talk tough. But sometimes that's okay if you avoid mistakes, and and it's hard to know. You know, history will judge this, but I I'm glad that there isn't another Iraq in Syria, and I think he learned the lesson of Iraq, Afghanistan, and Libya. I mean, I, he made a mistake in Libya going in. And he wasn't going to make that same mistake in Syria. And, and I, I I think that was a good decision. All right. So, yeah, I agree. He didn't create another Iraq or something like that. Yeah. But at the same time... It's a low bar, I will say. It's yeah, a low it's bar. it's a very low bar. <laughs> but at the same time, it is another Iraq. It just doesn't have us intimately involved with it. But that's, and, and now that's it's coming better. Back. But is it... I mean, are we just saying it's better for us? Or is it better for the global community at that point? Because, I mean... Yeah. Realistically, you wouldn't have a, a Russian ambassador getting shot at a, at a, at a friggin' art museum but, in broad daylight But as, that was as, not happening. As terrible as that is, that is a reflection of the fact that Russia was trying to intervene in a conflict, not the United States. So okay. the fact that they targeted Russian, it, it's the... It's the Vietnam syndrome in right. reverse. But would this have happened to begin with if we didn't start with foreign intervention into Syria? 
The U.S. or I mean, no, no, right. I mean, general intervention, and then our our inter, our intervention, quote unquote, yeah, was airstrikes. Oh, it was, was, it was terrible. It was terrible. Right? You know, yeah, exactly. Uh, you it destabilized was, the regime that was there. Go after ISIS and, and let the genie yeah. out of the bottle, and now you're you're fucked. Right, and, and we, as awful as it sounds, why am I getting angry? Because <laughs> we're talking about Obama's foreign policy. <laughs> as bad as it sounds, it may be better. For the international community and for Syrians in general to have Assad reestablish control. No shit. It's it's not it's not good for human rights. No. It's not good for democracy. But this it's is the not good re- for Syrians either. Really? really? Syrians would like. I don't know. I mean, like, I don't, if if the if the violence stops, right? That that's my thought. Is I I don't know. All right. If the violence continues, was there more stability under Saddam or right now? <laughs> Under no, Gaddafi, yeah. Well, there's instability, but the, the problem with the problem, I mean, again, this is where you can't do sort of counter history stuff. But like the the way it's playing out now, is as that academics, as, we can. <laughs> if Syria retakes Aleppo and other places. They're not like saying to people, "Hey, you know, no, that you were fighting against us." They're like, not. The Syrians who are like the government's like gonna take their room. Like, it's oh course. yes, yeah. We're not talking it's about human rights. We're talking about foreign policy. <laughs> but long, long term, <laughs> no. I think I know we're talking about foreign policy. But Bill said something about how. It's oh no, no, no! I completely agree. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm just making a, a <laughs> kind of shitty remark. Over, yeah. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I, I will say I, I think Assad is terrible. I would love to see him removed. Well, I, actually, I don't know if I would love to see him removed. I don't know if getting him out of power helps the Syrians. Right? He's he's a bad guy. He's he's yeah. terrible. But if he leaves, there's a power vacuum. Right. And are are you telling me that uh, that all these groups that are in Syria, including ISIS, are suddenly going to get along and vote for right. no? And, and so I think at some point you have to make a utilitarian calculation to say, mm-hmm. let's stop the killing. And, and maybe as awful as this is, and again, I, I am I am no defender of the Assad regime, but I would love to see the violence stop there. Um, it can't be worse than what it is right now. It phys- like it physically can't be. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, well, yeah. I, I will say I was struck. So the you you brought up the assassination at, in in Turkey of the uh, Russian ambassador say, to yeah. Turkey. That to me, watching the video of that, that seemed to capture so much of this year because it felt in one way very real, and the other way like this has to be a movie. This has to be something that's not true. Right. And this this captures the the 2016. Mm-hmm. Is this real? Is this fiction? You know, even the AP reporter who was there said he wasn't sure whether this was legit or not. Uh, and I think that's the reality that we're in right now. Well, Truth, fiction, all of that is who blended. Was, who was the ballsy motherfucker who just kept filming that, by the way? Yeah, I, this guy is nuts, right? I mean, he was, yeah. You would have been in the corner peeing your pants, Bill. Oh, the, the, the minute yelling starts, I usually leave a room. Did you hear that guy? Did you hear what he's talking about? Is he okay? Oh, you know that's right. He he should he should get a Pulitzer for that because yeah. um, he stayed. Uh, yeah. No, that this was this was uh, stunning. And the visuals. shooter had the foresight to not look into the camera. Yeah, it was very it was very yeah. telling. Yeah. yeah. No, he's a good it, actor. Yeah. It is. This is why you and I are academics. I thought of this when we were talking about Obama. Like, I I, I am critical of Obama's foreign policy, but I'm also sympathetic because if I were in that position, I would do exactly what he does, which is like. Yeah, but there's this. But when yeah. I do this, it's going to be bad. And if yeah. I do this, it's going to be bad. And and so I totally, I would do the same thing. Which is, is your why Obama I, voice I, a I'm Fat terrible. Albert voice? <laughs> Good academic. <laughs> 
no, you know, and I think there, there's good reason to push back against the academic critique, right? Because we are we are ditherers. <laughs> we don't actually have to do anything. No, right. We just get to critique everything. Now, I will say we are the the liberal elitists. We are an important voice, but no, we you don't want us making decisions. That's why they don't let us anywhere near actual power, <laughs> right? You know. All right. So, all right, uh, talking about. Um, Nick keeps us on track. <laughs> I'm trying. This is definitely going to go long. Yeah. Um, I mean, what are your 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 thoughts on on what's going on in in Europe at this point, especially in in uh, in Germany with obviously the the yeah. bus thing and, uh, and 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 Turkey, I guess too. I mean, what, like, how do they how do they deal with this at this point? I, I will defer to Phil because he is between the two of us. No, Phil's shaking his head. No, all right, they I'll just start. Don't deal with it. Okay. <laughs> right. So here, here's what here's what I would say. I I am more concerned about Europe than I am the United States. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to be a rough patch for the United States, and I think there might be some excesses here and there. But I think the democracy will work its way through. Europe, especially like so, we have elections coming up in France, Germany, the Netherlands, Italy, and Greece, and in all of those states. Far right-wing populist parties could win power. Mm -hmm. In the United States, you know, Trump's going to win power, but he is not the same thing as the National Front in France, right? Right. So so that shift is way more troubling. And to, to circle back to our initial discussion of Russia, way more aligned with Russia than what's happening in the United States. So. I'm I'm really concerned. I think ISIS and all of those organizations are aware that by pushing back, by increased immigration, Europe is is in a really delicate position right now. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not even taking into account the extent to which right wing parties have already come to power in places like Poland and and right. sort of the yeah. erosion of democracy yeah. in places like that. So yeah, I don't I don't I, I don't have predictions, right? Like I I should, right? That yeah. would make me a good academic, but. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's really a fascinating time in Europe where the, all of the, you know, everything, the second half of the 20th century, Europe was this great success story built on these international institutions, NATO and the EU and, you know, all of these other, um, <clears throat> 20 years ago, people wouldn't have questioned the, the future of Europe, right? No. It was like the model, not the, and, and you just are watching all of that sort of unravel um, in front of us. And the question is, will it really unravel? Right. Is, is the European Union and NATO and all of this stuff actually going to come undone, or is this just a brief kind of blip? And I, I don't know the answer to that. And do, I, do you need to answer that, Bill? I don't think it's a limit. Right, I will. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's limited to the European Union, right? It's gonna, the, the EU is going to face stresses it has never faced. Now, I know everybody who's listening to this podcast just turned it off when we mentioned the EU. <laughs> but so the EU is going to face is stresses. That? Yeah. But I think the liberal international order, right, this this order of the idea of NATO, uh, open trade, what the United States did in a nonpartisan way after World War II, like we created this world, is, is facing a challenge it's never faced. And so Russia is sitting back and Putin is just smiling, right, because even though he doesn't matter, right, economically, he, uh, he's not a global power. China is the one that is saying... Thank you, Putin. Right. Uh, you know, this is going to work out for well for us. We will engage our trade relations, but that whole liberal international economic order is at stake. And I think that's a that's that's a big issue that's not limited to Trump. It also relates to Europe. It relates to what's happening in East Asia. Uh, it is this is probably the most important time historically since the end of World War II in terms of what's going to happen for the next 50 years. Yeah, yeah. you're right. 
I, I mean, what I was was struck by, and what uh, obviously a lot of people picked up on, was how how similar it seemed to um, right uh, prior to, to World War One. Yeah, the the whole Archduke oh. thing and and Franz Ferdinand. Franz Ferdinand. Nick, I, I'm now teaching a course on Franz Ferdinand. Oh yeah, World War One. That's fascinating. Franz well, it's it's the July crisis, and uh, <laughs> this is no Nick. I'm glad you brought this in. Yeah. <laughs> Tune back in in about ten minutes yes, once right. it's done. No, I, I think you were spot on. Like, I think it's not it's it, World War end of World War Two matters, but I think you're right. This begins in that period. Well, I, I mean, it's and and this is me being a pessimist, which I've I've always kind of been, and you can. But you're a cheery pessimist. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially when I drink, it's yeah. awesome. Um, I am the best kind of pessimist. Um, like when people say, you know. Europe was a success story over the past 20 years and no one would ever, you know, think to, to question that. I, I mean, and I remember saying this in, in one of your classes yeah. years and years ago, this this transformation from a sovereign state system into a more globalized community right. yeah. and just going, I just don't see how that's going to work. Like oh, I, I was really like, pushing that. Yeah. And I just go, oh, God, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. And now we're seeing that some of that was was kind of force fed and it was it was a it's a great idea but i don't think we're at that stage of development yet especially europe with that many different ethnicities and countries and i apparently have a retainer in my mouth um we're seeing a pushback not just on globalization economically but Mm -hmm. we're seeing a pushback ethnically i mean we're moving towards tribalism right and this is this is the biggest challenge globalization has faced, and, yeah. and and you both are right, Phil. You know, Phil, you mentioned that twenty years ago we wouldn't be having this conversation. It was assumed that you know this would just continue to spread. We'd all become interconnected, and everybody would get along and trade. And what I question about that is twenty years ago, fall of the Soviet Union and and whatnot. Like, was that because we were at that stage of development, or was it because? Everything that wasn't Western Europe and the U.S. was still relatively, especially after the collapse of the Soviet Union, was in shambles. Did we just have that time and thought we could plaster this on top of everything else, but didn't really understand what was going on we just happen to have the lead at that point when communism goes away we can't assume there's going to be anything else right it's like oh right liberal democracy wins right that's it Mm -hmm. this is good yeah in the history this is going to be great we're all going to be liberal democracies the free market will dominate and then suddenly and again most interestingly within europe and the united states these these capitalist economies are saying like nah we're not so sold on that anymore this this is i don't know it I, I I don't know what comes. I, I don't know what comes next. It uh, and again to go back to Michelle Obama. Uh, I'm not so hopeful. Oh, I just I just made God. Nick mad. Oh, <laughs> I do want to go back to that at some point, but because there was more to that than just the hopeful thing. Yeah. Um, but regardless, um, what is what's Turkey's response to this incident this past week? So go, girl. <laughs> One of the things they've done is started pointing the fingers at, at like U.S. involvement. And yes. So, that, so Turkey has had its own authoritarian crisis, obviously, right? What? As, as the president of Turkey has slowly dismantled democratic institutions, and and he has seen this as essentially a chance to continue that process. And so, 
the initial reaction was to expect sort of tension between Russia and Turkey, right? Um, but that's not really the way it's played out thus far. Russia, I mean, Turkey has kind of used this to kind of further its, I mean, the president of Turkey, um, Erdogan, has used this to kind of as an excuse to finish off his own vendettas against people. And, and yeah, so like I, he has I, with I, everything I, else. Yeah. Well, and to, it, it suggests that he's going to use this to build a relationship with Putin against democracy, right? I mean, I, I could see those two suddenly, as much as they disliked each other, suddenly saying, like, you know what, actually, we've got something in common, and let's use the the ruse of, of terrorism to crack down on the public, and, mm. yeah, it, it undermines both, democracy in both Turkey. Con- both countries have internal separatist terrorist organizations that they're fighting against. They've both got, yeah, I mean, this sort of drift towards authoritarianism. Yeah, I mean, they have lots in common that they could yeah. find. Yeah. yeah. No, it uh, it will be. It, I was interested to see both of their reactions. In many ways, Putin and Erdogan's reactions—they are almost word for word in terms of how they responded <laughs> to say, you know, we need to push back and extremism is un- intolerable. And um, yeah, I, I think they they move closer together because of this. Okay. So the question I have, and you guys as as scholars of this. I almost put it in quotes and then I chose not to. Um, like, where is, where is, or where are liberal democratic principles on the march as opposed to in retreat right now? When you say liberal, do you mean like American dom- domestic politics liberals or like global liberals? Like global. I don't know if they're on the march anywhere. Right. Yeah, I, I think they're in retreat. Yeah. Uh, I, I think they're in that's retreat. That's what concerns in me more than Trump ever could. By yeah, the way, right? No, I think they're re- in retreat in Europe. I think they're in retreats in Asia. Uh, Duterte in the Philippines mm-hmm. this week came out and said, "I murdered three people," and and the, the it's a right, slow week, right? And they're like, "Oh, that's okay." And the UN was like, "No, this is not good." <laughs> Philippines, you should look into this. And the Philippines is like, "Ah, I don't know." We're tired. This guy's all right. No, I think that that kind of liberalism is is not marching anywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they just depress. No, no, no. I will say, I, I was uh, I was listening and reading about this a couple podcasts on foreign policy, and they were talking about the fact that um, oh, it was the the ours. The, uh, yeah. No, not uh, ours, but the president. What's the president of Google? What's his name? Um, Mr. Google. Uh, yeah, Mr. Yeah. Google. Mr. Google was talking about Ted Google optimism, and 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 it, it struck me that he was trying to reframe this to say that like the world is going in a good direction. We're trading more. We're engaging more. Technology is better, and this will be a little blip, right? That that ethno nationalism in Europe, the United States, and elsewhere, it'll be a little blip. But the economic opportunities are so strong that people will eventually push past that. And it did strike me as like, you know what, That's there's something to that. And economic interests always trump political interest. And so yeah, I, I'm more hopeful when I use that frame. But, I mean, people said the exact same thing when the Soviet Union fell. Which, I mean, realistically, yes. it did. Yeah. It, 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 it worked for a while. Yep. But, I mean, that was, like, there were so many good things going on at that point. And this is kind of a muddled thing where right. we're just going to kind of force it. and You've, eh. you've got to give everybody an interest in globalization. Right mm-hmm. And so if the white working class in the United States and in Europe don't have an interest and a reason to fight for globalization, or at least the economic dynamics of globalization, it goes away. Yeah. But I think that'll happen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. That's less sad. 
Phil, comment. Phil? I, I've had two drinks, and I feel like I can't follow the argument. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you just start um, talking. Right. That's very unacademic of you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what do you think I've been doing this entire time? <laughs> yes. Oh. I like colors. Yeah. Um, All right. Anything else we need to, to we, should we reflect on our beers? Yeah, well, yeah. I, I mean, like, like I said, I do want to, there was one part of the, and like you guys are foreign policy guys and I get that. Um, going back to the, the, um, what, what are you laughing at? <laughs> Cause I just like the, like, Phil Major is, you're well informed about this, but, <laughs> Hey, I'm in that boat too. No, I'm just saying. I'm good. I like it. Yeah. Uh, no, like going back to that Michelle Obama thing. Uh, it, what really kind of the hope thing, whatever. I like. I get that. <laughs> what really bugged me about it was the fact that she's talking about, you know, there's there's whatever. There's no hope, but this. You know we're so afraid of each other and you know there's um this you know ju we just don't want to learn about each other and some people are, are better off than others and this weird identity politics thing that while she's saying it doesn't matter it seems like they're the ones that are pushing that i don't want to say agenda but at least that mindset to the point where you know we have mtv sending out videos about how white people can improve themselves in the next year right? yeah did you not see that? i don't watch mtv anymore. i'm gonna pull that up right now yeah. hold on yeah hold um, on. we're gonna talk about that i what i will say i think both sides are guilty of this i think that trump played off identity politics during the campaign and i think we're now we're seeing democrats liberals pushing back and saying we need to protect these groups who feel threatened right i mean so mm -hmm. so both both are accentuating those those identities uh and it's, it's concerning right if concerning if you move towards a more tribal more local that that's problematic for the democracy mm -hmm. hold on we're getting there. Can you pull oh it they up? deleted it oh. oh we know i think we got it i think it'll play yeah Come on. dead air is good on a podcast right <laughs> Thank you. Fellow white guys, it's about to be a new year. And there's a few things we think you could do a little bit better in 2017. Yeah. First off, try to recognize that America was never great for anyone who wasn't a white guy. Pause. Can we all <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me right now? Nick, that's just true. What? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Whatever. Larry, let's say for the sake of argument that that was true. Yeah. Which isn't true. Okay? Don't. Don't do I'm it. I'm trying to think of the non-white group that did well. Like ever. In the history of the United States, there has never been a time where a non-white group... Has, are, the, are the Irish non-white? No. No. Which every fucking HuffPost article I say, oh, well, they, they weren't white, but they were included in, in whiteness and whatever. Yeah. Uh, uh, Do you want to play the end? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, to... Right. We're only 15 seconds in. Oh, I agree that Black Lives Matter isn't the opposite of All Lives Matter. Black Lives just matter. There's no... Then why do you keep saying Black Lives Matter? Oh, boy. Are we going down this road? Yeah! <laughs> yeah, we are! <laughs> No, all right, hold on. No, there's a I'm better... Gonna a, I'm going to need another man. All right, hold on. There, there's, a, there's another point right beyond this that really wrinkles my ass. 
Also, blue lives matter isn't a thing. Cops weren't born with blue skin, <laughs> right? I mean, what does that mean? Blue eyes do matter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they do. Cops weren't born with blue skin. What are you talking about? No, that's I, not I, a real thing. I agree with that. You, you're right. It's. My, my first piece of advice to help you with your happiness moving forward in life oh my is God. To, to ignore anything that comes from it. <laughs> You're right. This is, this is good. Oh, Phil. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Well, I, to your broader point, I, I think right. This realistically, shift, that's what I want to focus. On. This shift to blue lives, black lives, I, I at some level I understand. Right, all these groups say it's important that everybody's included in the conversation, but the, the net effect of it can be that you divide, and that's that's concerning. And because when when white America hears that black lives matter, right, that they're like all of a sudden they're up in arms. And when African Americans hear that blue lives matter, right? It, it's just, it's just, it, it's hard to move past that. All right, all right. Like I get that. Yeah, completely understand. But realistically, in let's say in the past ten years, yeah, we'll just go, go really short. Um, like, how has the rhetoric from the opposite end of the spectrum. Let's say the KKK or neo-Nazis or anything like that. Yeah. Has that translated into significant public killings of minorities or African Americans or anything like that as compared to, say, you know, police officers getting killed over the past year or so? Do you see my point? I do see your point. I, I, the one thing I would say is that it's hard. Like I, I'm sure that data. Am I making sense? Yeah. This point? <laughs> I, <laughs> it's it's hard for us to understand the other perspective. And I I will say one of the beauties of being in a liberal elitist academic is that I get to talk to a lot of people. Oh damn it! Damn. I know. <laughs> Don't roll the eyes. Uh, and when you talk to individuals, when you talk to students of color, color people of color. They face different challenges that, as a white man, completely agree. I, I don't always see. Mm-hmm. And even after the Trump election, talking to people, they would express concerns that I say, "Really, that happens to you?" Sure. In in a way that I think we don't always understand. I also think we don't understand the challenges that the police officers face. Right. Yes. It's, so it's, it's. I don't think it's an either or. I think it's it's. It truly, in some ways, to go back to Obama, he talks about that we need to understand each other's perspective. And it sounds trivial, but I think there is some value to that. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to no, happen. No, I don't think it's going to happen no. either. Phil could fix it, but he's just too tired. He needs at least two more Manhattans and yeah. fix the problem. Um, no, and I don't think this is just a domestic thing. I think this, this relates, this is a global dynamic where we're shifting towards these identities in the United States, yeah. it tends to fall along racial lines. Mm-hmm. In Europe, it's falling along ethnic lines. Right. Um, and uh, I, I am I am worried because I think that is one dynamic that could overcome the global dynamic of economic opportunity, and and mm-hmm. that that slows everything down. And to go back to your point about Franz Ferdinand, <laughs> <laughs> this bubbled up, right? I mean, so you think about what was going on, and again, if if you didn't turn it off when I was talking about the European Union, you're going to turn it off now. God bless you if you. But 
But all of these identities were bubbling up in, in the early 1913s, 1914s, uh, and that helped push the, the world towards war. I, I don't think we're doing that. But, no, I don't think so either. But these... This this identity politics is, is powerful. Well, I mean, it's out of control. I mean, this uh, this is uh, realistically this is my point more than anything that this is getting put out yeah. to a susceptible and realistically most people aren't educated in the political system no. the way that you know political science majors or or academics are. And and they they take this to heart and they well you know either white or black or whoever else yeah they're the enemy like what no that's like, that's not productive it, it really should be about understanding and no and I think a media post like that doesn't necessarily help things yes yeah. MTV News deletes a YouTube video telling white guys what they could do better in 2017 after backlash you know I think if we all watched PBS we'd be better right. <laughs> It's so boring. It no, it's good, so Phil. It's good. Boring. Did you hear you so much Empires on there, by the way? Yes. Love Empires. Yes. <laughs> oh. I'll sleep to it every night. <laughs> what, what are we at time-wise, Phil? Uh, we're, we're Phil. Phil. <laughs> Nick. Three. Three. I'm losing track. Uh, we're, I, I mean, we're, if you guys want to talk about something else, we absolutely can. I We no, need more I, beer, but if you're good, we're... Final okay. reflections on beers. I think we're there. Um, well, this one half exploded on me, so I don't really know if it's it's good or bad. Um, Easy Jack IPA, Firestone Walker Brewing Company. Um, not bad. Kind of, it's kind of. It might just be flat because again, it exploded on me. Um, the sour thing, I'm not even going to talk about. Um, Sweetwater 420. Ah, um, <laughs> yeah, it was fine. Um, <laughs> that didn't sound fine. There's a trout. No, I think there's a trout on there's that. There's a trout. It's on. I think it's on all all of their stuff. Yeah. Um, that was somewhere in the. I feel like that was we were talking about Obama, and I was really angry. Yeah. Um, Probably don't so remember I don't that remember one. a lot of it, but I'm gonna say it was good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I had uh, two uh, bedlams, and then I had a left hand milk stout nitro, which is actually a wonderful beer. Fantastic. Uh, Phil, do you want to talk about your bourbon? I used to, I used to live within walking distance of a left-hand brewery when we lived in Longmont, Colorado. Yes. Really? Good times. Nobody yeah. cares. No. It was good times. Yeah. <laughs> I, had, I had two Manhattans made with Jefferson bourbon, which I never had Jefferson bourbon. Before. It's really good. Yeah. Now, now t- really talk good about stuff. the sweet vermouth you have, because I love this sweet vermouth. Oh, God. Well, I, it was one that you recommended. Which yes. one did I get? Which one is it? Phil, you're, you're just blowing your opportunity to <laughs> So it is. It's Antica Antica Roma Sweet Vermouth. It is fantastic. It is. It's the best sweet vermouth out there for Manhattans or anything else. Wow, you should work at a hipster bar downtown. Oh, it's 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 fantastic. What kind of bitters you got in there? Did you hand make your bitters? Oh yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I I think we're good. Covered a lot. Um, it is. Yeah, I mean, not going to do anything before Christmas at this point. Um. Have have a have a good holiday, people. Um, Phil, thanks thanks very much for for doing this. We greatly appreciate it. Um, sure. Yeah, it, it's it's a fun time. We always like having new people. Um, so yeah, we will see you guys next time in the near future. All right, bye, Felicia.